Hi, my name is Professor Jason Pomeroy. I'm the founding principal of Pomeroy Studio and Pomeroy Academy, designers and thought leaders of sustainable built environments. Welcome to JCU Conversations, an initiative by James Cook University Singapore that allows us to have conversations with captains of industry to find out what the secret of their success is. And today I'm delighted to be here with the CEO and founder of Salad Stop, Adrian Debier. Adrian, welcome to JCU Conversations. How are you today? Great. Thank you for having me. Good, good. Um, we are interviewing captains of industry, people who have made a real difference. And what I find remarkable about your journey with Salad Stop, the founder of Salad Stop, is that you really are touching people's lives. But before I get to the, the ideas as to how you managed to get to this remarkable position, tell us a bit about your childhood to begin with. Um, quite diverse. Okay. I grew up in this part of the world, so Singapore oh. has been home for a long time. Okay. Uh, my dad was in the hotel business, so we moved around and, uh, you know, really just from one hotel to the next. Um, so I got to experience, you know, the, all the countries in the region, different flavors, different people, um, and then went off to university in the U.S. and came back. So really this has been, you know, part of my life, Asia, traveling around, working now, obviously, in this part of the world as well. You were born in Switzerland? Born in Switzerland, yeah. But born in Switzerland. Supposed to be born in Africa. Um, <laughs> okay. But then my mum, I guess, didn't really approve of the hospital, so it was a little bit more risk. So at that time, so yeah, flew me to Switzerland, had me there, and then flew back. So a remarkable sort of uh, twin world of both Europe and That's Asia, right. Right. which I'm sure gave you some remarkable perspectives. And then you went mm. off to the US to study. Where did, where did you study? Uh, Cornell, so Fantastic. the hospitality program. So I guess hospitality is always been in your blood? Your, your father has. was in hospitality? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, the, you know, growing up working in hotel kitchens um, and, and just that, that environment, you know, part of it was obviously amazing to, to just experience it, but then obviously you are part of the hotel, right? So, you know, your life obviously is that you walk through the hotel lobby every morning. Um, and so, yeah, it was an interesting um, childhood, but, um, but it, it really kind of instilled a lot of that kind of hospitality and, 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 and that you know, passion for the business and, and serving people and, and trying to you know, improve, in our case, people's lives. So after four years of hospitality school in the US, tell us about your first job. Was your first job in hospitality? First job would have been uh, the official shrimp peeler of the Siam Intercontinental <laughs> in Bangkok. Amazing. Um, because, you know, um, I, I, I mean, I, again, I loved working in the hotel kitchen. So, so on weekends, my parents would kind of let me go there. My reward was a fried rice. So I would love to just stand next to the walk and have the chef cook and, and just, you know, experience all that. So um, that was my first job, really. And then, uh, and then always sort of picked up different, um, you know, experiences along the way as mainly in, in still in the hotel business, but then ventured off into finance and did internships, you know, in, in different places. Hospitality as an industry is, is so broad, but it's interesting that you mentioned that peeling shrimps was probably your first memory. Um, did you gravitate towards food and beverage? Because clearly you are the CEO of Salad Stop, and I'm just wondering, this could have been a very, very different journey had that first job been something different relating to housekeeping or something like that. It could have, but I think the working with people and it still being a people business was mm. always what I, I, I guess attracted me to hospitality. Um, you know, when I went off to university, I think I, I, I started seeing the, the 
the other avenues that I could mm -hmm. take, you know, if it was hospitality, finance, real estate development, all of that. And I think that's maybe given me a different perspective once I'd graduated that, you know, actually I love the day-to-day -day operations, but I also love creating concepts, you know, working on something that's, I guess, potentially larger and the development part of it. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. So the transition from Shrimp Peeler mm -hmm. to then moving through the hospitality industry and then finally becoming the founder of Salad Stop. Tell us a bit about that transition. So I think that transition was one, I mean, I had always believed or had the, 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 the desire to build my own business. Mm -hmm. So I think starting something was always kind of in the cards for me. Yeah. Um, but I, in the beginning, I knew obviously I also just needed to have some experience. I always wanted to live in China. So, you know, moved back to Singapore after university and then actually made my way to Hong Kong and Shanghai. Then the financial crisis hit and moved back here. Uh, my dad was also in between different uh, consulting projects. Uh, he, and, and, you know, he was sort of thinking about what retirement would look like. Um, and that's when we started Salastop. So I sort of um, roped him into this and, and, and we started this together in uh, June 2009. Well, I'll certainly touch on that sort of family connection mm -hmm. in a bit. Mm -hmm. um, Saladstop was arguably the first and largest um, healthy food chain in, in Asia. Can you mm. tell us a bit more about Salad Stop as a business? Sure. So when we started, I mean, the core focus was just filling a, a gap in the market, right? So we mm. saw that there was definitely a lack of healthy food options in Singapore. Mm. We knew as well that whatever we were building had to be scalable. Mm. So, you know, we signed three locations before we even opened the first one. Mm. So we knew that this had to be a volume game. It had to be something that we could not only uh, attract locals too, mm. and obviously that was, was a very important piece of the puzzle, but also make sure that it's exportable. Mm. So our whole mindset, you know, from the beginning was how do we make this uh, a concept that's affordable, that's quick service, uh, and that can ultimately also grow in whatever market that we're in, that's adaptable to local cuisines, you know, local mindsets, and, 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 and obviously grow within the healthy food space. Um, salads as a category was obviously very niche. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the food is amazing in Singapore and you've got, you know, great hawker centers. And I think, mm. you know, uh, that was still very much the mindset around food at that time. Yeah. Um, so we really sort of took on the challenge of, of creating something that most of Singapore had never seen. It's, it is really quite a remarkable journey when I think about how one of the major blockers, I would imagine, is the culture of a breakfast or a lunch or a dinner if you are so used to the staple of rice mm -hmm. or noodles, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but to then present this, as you say, niche product, the salad. How did you overcome those blockages? How did you kind of overcome that cultural perception that this is just not part of our day-to-day -day mm -hmm. diet? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think one was in Singapore, I mean, it was becoming around that period was definitely becoming a lot more cosmopolitan. Yeah. You had a, just a, a very diverse uh, audience that yeah. you could speak to. So I think, you know, we also targeted locations in the beginning that we knew were going to be a little bit more obvious <clears throat> for our product category. Yeah. But then I think over time, you know, we also made sure that the taste profile appealed to locals, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we launched with a chili crab dressing. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of different Japanese salads. Mm -hmm. So we really broadened I guess, people's view on what a salad would be. It's not a Caesar salad yeah. or a niçoise or what you yeah. know you would find in a, in a traditional restaurant. Yeah. And I think when we really developed that, I think people 
tried it once and they thought, oh, you know what, that's not bad and I feel great and I can see how this becomes part of my lifestyle. When we branched out internationally, then it was a little bit different because then the gap was even wider. Mm. And I think with, the, with you know, working with all of our local partners in each of these markets, I think we really fine-tuned the brand as well to be a little bit more lifestyle orientated. Yeah. So sometimes the design of the spaces, you know, we went up a notch. We also worked with either local celebrities or, you know, um, uh, activations that would give us a little bit more buzz. Mm -hmm. uh, and what was interesting is in those markets, we are very much, and even today, perceived as an aspirational brand. Mm -hmm. So again, we played a little bit on that lifestyle element, but I think over time as well, um, developed a, a product that, you know, still suited the local taste. Mm. And I think that was key. You know, we, the first thing we do when we open a market, we actually go straight down to the local market. You know, we look at what the local ingredients are. How can we try to source everything, you know, on that island or, or in that country? That's really amazing. Yeah. I mean, I guess that uh, any company that's looking to scale and move into different territories has to have this global view, yeah. but at the same time has to be able to localize it. So. Glocal, if you will. And um, the ability to then kind of think about what those unique flavors are mm. on the ground within, say, Vietnam, within mm -hmm. Thailand, mm -hmm. within Singapore. Uh, I, I find it remarkable that you've been able to make that transition. So in terms of your expansion plans through Asia, what do they look like? So I think, I mean, we're ultimately still a Singapore company and, and a, a, I guess... Um, actually very much Asian at heart mm. and the you know the opportunities just in this part of the world I think obviously are immense I think the our key understanding of the region and how actually fragmented it is and back to your point how you do need to adapt to every market mm. individually there's really no blanket approach I think yeah. for Asia um, I think that does give us a competitive edge mm. and uh, maybe because of our upbringing here we are adaptable, right? So we understand where we feel very comfortable landing in Jakarta and Bangkok and, and being able to then suddenly switch to a different mode, right, when we're in that, in that market. So um, I think the, 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 the model obviously has, has been built that way from the beginning, but it is constantly refining it, right? And I think working with local partners is also very, very important. That's very interesting. You touched on um, your father mm -hmm. and um, you mentioned that in his retirement years, he wanted to find another avenue. And this was the perfect sort of opportunity for father and son to come together to create something, which is, again, wonderful to hear. Yeah. Though they do say that you should never work with family. <laughs> and, and here I am also guilty of this because I, I work with my wife. She's an architect. We have a studio together. What is it like to work with family members? So in the beginning, it was... It was lot of getting used to right yeah. I think you you know I, I knew my father as my father yeah. and not as a businessman necessarily I mean yeah. I had a lot of respect for what he had done in hotels and yeah. and and seeing him um, work you know as I grew up but uh, then actually uh, starting a business together understanding you know the value each of us bring to the business um, how to work through that and especially when you know it gets quite intense in the beginning right you're working very very closely and then maybe you start branching off and, and focusing on different areas of the business but uh, in the beginning yeah we had to get used to each other's styles um, my mother I think is a, is a big part of also the inspiration behind Salah Stop so you know she was really um, the one pushing us and, and believing in it so strongly even when we sometimes had our own doubts about yes. how the business would sort of stack up um, she just you know, there was 
100% certainty in her mind that this would work. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the, those initial years, I think we, we built the business together. And again, I think, you know, as time progressed and my sister joined uh, two years after we started, my brother-in-law joined about halfway through as well. So, um, you know, then it was also an easier to transition to, to sort of for him to hand over the reins, right? Because um, I think, you know, even financially, he put everything on the line. So, you know, that was a big risk on his part. Mine, I mean, I was young. I could have, if it didn't work, I could have moved on to something else. Yeah. But like I said, this was his retirement plan, basically, you know, all in the business. So, um, you know, very grateful for the, the risk he took. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a great ride, you know, and, and he's still involved, obviously, but, uh, you know, has, uh, has kind of now enjoyed the fruits of his labor in, in many ways. Yeah. I'm curious to know how you managed that pressure. Because, um, again, you touch on a very valid point about how youth can be on your side when you're establishing a business. Mm. Um, but as one gets older, there is always the, this demon speaking to you behind saying, is, is this really the right time mm -hmm. to be taking mm -hmm. such risks? Mm -hmm. How did you manage those risks? How did you sort of um, satisfy yourself with the fact that you were doing the right thing, knowing too well that you're father had put mm. so much into this so I think a few things I mean for him obviously he had come with so much experience that that he he knew the different levers and and where you know the risk profile would lie right yeah. and and being able to even very closely monitor cash flow and and he, you know he's been very meticulous in that mm -hmm. sense right so for me it gave me the comfort that you know that part was handled and and obviously with his experience he could he could keep driving that i think i came with maybe the the maybe the higher risk profile the 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 more of the concept and and and, and the bigger picture but i think the most important part i think for us was that we were involved in every part of the business mm -hmm. so you know even when we first opened our store you know, I was there every day and I was cashiering. And, and so, you know, you're speaking to customers, you really understand every part of the business. Mm -hmm. And that also gives you the confidence to say, you know what, it is going to work. I just need yeah. to get these pieces right. Yeah. And I can see and you can feel every day on the ground how things are picking up and the reception that you're getting from customers. That for us was the, actually the best validation. Absolutely. Um, and, and that's what kept fueling us and taking more and more risk in many ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, so as a CEO, having a true understanding mm. from inception through to completion of a project and also a true understanding of the operation is key yeah. to the success of the business. And clearly, your business has been a remarkable success as it continues to grow. Now, I want to touch on another aspect of your business, which is not just about healthy eating and healthy lifestyles, but it's also the health and well-being of the environment. Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're doing remarkable things, um, and I'm delighted to be part of this with you mm -hmm. in, in, in terms of creating net zero stores and, and whatnot. Tell us a bit more about why you're getting into this game. Mm. Eating healthily is one thing, mm -hmm. but ensuring that the, the climate change agenda is being, is being addressed and also reducing our carbon emissions is also being you know, taken into consideration. Why are you doing this? Mm. I mean, from the inception, we always wanted to change people's perception of food. Mm. We always wanted to have an impact on the whole food industry. Mm. I think for, for, for the last few years, we have done a lot on the sustainability front and have a lot of in initiatives in the store, but we never really had an opportunity to bring that together. So this year really is our focus to say, let's 
let's not just kind of um, show people what we are about and what we're trying to achieve here, but let's also try to take this to a whole new level. What I mean by that is, you know, when there's a lot of conversation about net zero now and, mm. and you know, a lot of companies that have pledged to, you know, be net zero by 2030 or 2050. Mm. But I think what we are looking at is, you know, how do we look at our entire operation, the impact of, of our construction, our sourcing, and try to bring down that footprint as much as possible first and then offset and then continuously work on that. And I think that's always been a big part of our ethos has been, you know, we're always trying to innovate, always trying to push the boundaries and as much as possible, try to move the needle in the customer's mind, right? And I think in this in this you know, instance, I think we really will push mindsets and, and start challenging people to ask more about the businesses they interact with. You know, they ask the hard questions. Uh, we're very happy to receive hard questions. We might not always have the right answer, the perfect answer. But I think that's, you know, one of the motives that we've always stood for is that, you know, we're not perfect, but we try to be better than yesterday. That's really good. So building upon where so many stores have been, mm -hmm. the business as usual, you're challenging the business as usual. Mm -hmm. You're coming out with new concepts. You're pushing towards zero energy. Can you tell us a bit more about that? How are you going to be approaching that, for instance, in, in Singapore as a, mm -hmm. as, a, as a city state that is so committed to the green agenda? Right. How does your net zero store fit into all mm -hmm. this? So, I mean, that's what we're incredibly excited about is, is you know, the ecosystem that we get to play in in Singapore is, is mm. just fascinating. The, you know, the, the food tech, agri-tech, that whole space and, and the future of food, because that really is, you know, uh, actually also an imperative is we need to really ask ourselves how we're going to feed another 3 billion people, right? Mm. It, yes. You know, these are, these are challenges that, you know, the world needs to address. And I think Singapore has a few of these solutions. Um, so just working within that space is, is brought up a lot of ideas. And I think we're, you know, being at sort of at the forefront of that. In terms of the sustainability agenda of Singapore, I mean, the 30 by 30 goals, you know, the, the carbon tax now mm -hmm. that they've introduced, I think is very forward looking. And what I think is, is needed, though, is for the smaller businesses in Singapore to try to adopt that. I think a lot of them have that ambition, but just don't know where to start. So, you know, if we can also play a role in, in opening people's eyes and, and just, you know, providing a template in how to do that, I think we would really want to move, again, the needle from, from an industry perspective. Um, and, and again, ch just challenge the status quo. You know, do we need to keep building stores the same way as we have? Yeah. Do we need to keep operating them the same way? Do we need to source the same way? That's amazing. So, Salad Stop, which cities and countries are you currently in and what are your plans for the next five, ten years? So we're in eight countries today. Wow. Um, and mainly in Asia. Um, we are going to continue focusing in this part of the world. I mean, this is, you know, our home. This is where, again, we see a lot of opportunities. Uh, so the first priority is really just going deep into the markets we're already in because we see so much potential in those and, and we're actually a multi-brand company today. And, and have built brands specifically to kind of cater to different segments of that market. But then we also see, you know, a few more markets that, that we want to be in and, and sort of close the loop in this part of the world. Uh, so that, that's at least the next two or three years. After that, then obviously, you know, there's a much larger market such as China and India that, you know, we would love to uh, be in one day. But, um, but again, we have so much to accomplish just in, in our neck of the woods that I think we'll focus on that. So it looks like you're going to be scaling in terms of your 
human resources as well in order to be able to manage this remarkable expansion. You mentioned multi-brands. What, mm. what other brands uh, are there and how do they fit in to the overall Salad Stop Inc? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we um, launched two brands just before the pandemic, actually. Um, so uh, Hebo is a warm grain bowl concept, mm. uh, which is all warm. And we, we could see that that was still a missing piece because mm. Salad Stop has been very well received, but there's still always that gap where, in at least within Asian cultures and, and, and cuisines, it's actually still a lot more warm options that mm. people are looking for. And also we see that Salad Stop, given its price point, uh, starts plateauing in a few markets and, and has it, it's a little bit harder to penetrate cities like Medan and Davao and mm. those kind of secondary cities. We need a, a brand that's a little bit maybe more approachable in some mm. ways. Mm. And a, a, another part is that we Hebo is very communal. Mm. Salad Stop is very kind of your individual. You're grabbing a, a salad or wrap. You're going back to the office. We needed something that would kind of help us on weekends and nights and so you know, there's sort of a quite a clear approach to how we were building Hebo. Right. Uh, Wuxi is the third brand. That is a, a maki roll concept. Um, so targeted at a much younger audience. Uh, we, we collaborate with a lot of local artists on the boxes. And it's just a really fun brand. Again, trying to, to get a more entry uh, price point and, and positioning into healthy food. The, the idea for us is, you know, how can we bring a customer on this whole journey? And, you know, if you're in university, you probably might start off with, uh, Wuxi, and then graduate to Hebo and Salad Stop, and 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 you know hopefully that becomes a whole ecosystem that you um, then uh, interact with, and 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 you know the the brands kind of coexist. So it's wonderful to hear that there is something for the seven-year-old child all the way through exactly. to the seventy-year-old exactly. grandparent. Mm -hmm. um, if the Cornell student, the Cornell Adrien, saw you today, mm -hmm. what do you think? Adrian, the Cornell student, would be thinking? Would he be thinking, this is really quite remarkable? Would Adrian have been able to predict where you are today? Mm. In, yes, in some shape or form, I think the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit was there, even okay. in university. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it would have been very close to, to, in terms of timing, in terms of where I'm in my life. and the different pieces and personally and everything, just how everything has fitted in. I think the part that maybe was a, a bit of a question mark was, was I going to work with family? That obviously yeah. was, was hard to say, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm glad I did. And I think it's, it's a, you know, it's such an incredible opportunity um, to work with your father, your sister, your brother-in-law, to work so well together. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, so rewarding. And if you were to look back at students within the hospitality industry, what advice would you give them? The first would be to just stay adaptable. Mm. I think you know the 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 profile of of people that we look for now as we hire and we scale the team are really just people that are going to have the right attitude and are willing to learn and hit the ground running. So you know my biggest advice would be you know pack your bags, move to China, move to India, experience those markets, learn, and that I think will serve people very well, you know, throughout their career, right? So that, that is still, I think, fundamentally the most important part of, of you know, starting your career. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, I think, you know, the, you can just see within our own industry how much that has changed, right? When I went to university, there was no delivery business, you know, there was mm. no delivery hero and, and delivery. Um, and now that's, that's a, a sort of a natural 
extension to what you would graduate into, right? From university, you could go and work for Delivery Hero, um, which just didn't exist before, right? The more typical path was you go down and, and you you'd work in a hotel. Indeed, indeed. I guess as we've been talking about hospitality, food and beverage, and obviously a remarkable career, um, I guess we can finish with one quick fire question, and that will be related to food and beverage. If you had to create your fantasy dinner party, who would you invite to your dinner party? Wow. Um, I don't have anyone specifically in mind off the top of my head, but I think the, the definitely people that are, are trying to change the world in a big way um, and, and really create long lasting impact. Uh, because I think that, you know, I think to, to, to really change the world or, or at least in, in our industry impact the, the whole food system, you, you need sort of a pretty deep collaboration between different type of people in different industries. I think it, the, 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 the challenge is at such a large scale that I think you're going to need a, a lot of minds uh, to, to come together. Um, so for me, it would be number one. Yeah, that would be kind of an important criteria. Uh, and then... Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we operate so much in this part of the world that to have conversations around what is going on uh, and, and, and what impact we can have, uh, that I think for me is just incredibly exciting. I love to, you know, speak to someone in Indonesia or, or the Philippines and what is going on um, in those places. Well, I look forward to seeing what that fancy dinner party might look like in the future. Uh, Adrian, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much you. for Thanks joining us today. How can we find you? over various different digital platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, how can we LinkedIn, uh, or just email me, adrian at salastop.com. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jason.